if you guys are really us, what number are we thinking of? 69, dudes! Hi there, and welcome to the Wayback Music Machine podcast, the show that takes a lighthearted look at the week that was in rock and roll history. I'm Tony Stewart. I'm Aaron Bodgley. Aaron, what episode are we on? Is this is this episode 68? No, we did 68. I'm pretty sure it's episode 70. I, my, my calculation says 70. No, I don't think it's 70 either. I, I think it might be somewhere between 68 and 70, don't you think? Um, you, you might be right. I don't, I, but you know, Tony, I've told you many a time I failed math, right? So what's that number then? Well, you know what? Hold on to your hats, folks, because this is episode 69. You know, Tony, when push comes to shove, <laughs> we're still 12-year-old little boys, I tell you. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Like, as if we weren't going to run with this being on uh, episode 69. <laughs> I, You know, I mean, <laughs> I just, I mean, come on, we're still kids. And that's good. I'm glad that we're still kids at heart, you know? <laughs> exactly. Now, speaking of kids, now, the how's this for a segue? Did oh, you, my God. That was the, Okay, that was your best one yet. Yeah, exactly. Did you... Uh, best did, one. Thank you, sir. Uh, did you read... Archie comic books when you were a kid? You know, I did. And my do- my youngest daughter, Linda, loved the Archies. Still does, I guess. But yeah, I, I, I read them. Um, they were probably my favorite, more than Richie Rich or that stuff. I loved the Archies. How about you? Yeah, I loved the Archies as well. And uh, now I've got a, a really important question for you. I'm sure oh, you, kn- uh, you know what question I, I'm going to ask. I know exactly where you're going. So go, go ahead. Betty or Veronica? I knew you were <laughs> <laughs> I I know that she was kind of the bad girl, but I kind of went for Veronica. Oh, did you? Um, I, I was a Betty yeah. guy, so there you go. I, you see, I could see that. I could see, <laughs> well, Veronica, Veronica, I always thought, you know, she was, I don't know, but uh, yeah, but, and listen, either one is fine, but it's okay. Ginger or Marianne, I bet you, I can, I know your answer for this one. Well, oh, yeah, for Ginger. me, it's a, it's a resounding Marianne for that one. Oh, me, me too. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but yeah, no, I liked I liked the Archies a lot, and I, I used to love the, the cartoon that was on Saturday Saturday mornings. Um, loved the cartoon, and uh, and I loved I had their albums. Yeah, you know not. what? So what we're doing today, folks, is uh, in honor of episode sixty nine. We are going to be focusing on the week that was in nineteen sixty nine, and I got I just said the word sixty nine twice in one sentence. Did you notice that? Yeah, I want, I'm just actually seeing. I want to see how many times you can say it today. So I'm just, I'm just sitting back and marveling. Get that marvel So let's start with uh, September 20th, 1969, and what was going on? Well, there was a lot going on, but I think the big news of the day was that a, a cartoon series was topping the charts everywhere in the world, and they were number one on the U.S. singles charts with a song called "Sugar Sugar." which I think you know this, Tony, was co-written by a guy from Montreal named Andy Kim. Yeah, yeah. And it was written by also Jeff Berry, right? He was the other songwriter on that. Now, I got to tell you, I'm not name dropping, but I've interviewed Andy Kim several times. And he talks about the Brill building. And he said, Aaron, you would walk in and he goes, there was cubicles. 
and people were playing guitars and pianos and you would just keep walking by hearing songs in progression and jeff barry had started the song sugar sugar but didn't know where to go with it which is a kind of a funny line there i just said but um so andy kim helped him finish the song which is incredible i mean okay did you know the monkeys were supposed to do it I didn't. So there's our first bell ringing moment of the day right there. So the monkeys were supposed to do Sugar Sugar. But you know what? It makes sense, actually. Well, it was Don Krishner who was who was overseeing the monkeys' music at the time, and he did the Archies. And, and But the monkeys put their foot down. Nesbeth especially was like, no, we're doing our own music. We're playing our own instruments, and we're not doing this bubblegum stuff. Get it? Sugar Sugar, bubblegum? Yeah, See that? exactly. There you go. Very hey. nice. Very nice. Thank you. <laughs> okay. I have to ask you, do you like the song Sugar Sugar? I don't like hate it and I don't love it. Um, <laughs> but I like I'll I'll leave it on when it's on the radio. What about you? Like I wouldn't turn yeah, it off. I, I'm just sick of it now. Like I think it, it's it it's one of those songs that you kind of smile when you hear it, but if you hear it too many times in a week, you're like enough, you know? Yeah, you know what this song reminds me of? It's and another song that I this song I'm really sick of, and I, I will turn it off. But do you remember Neil Sedaka, Calendar Girl? Do you remember that? Oh, it, it, oh well, they're they're the same type of song, aren't they? And when they used Calendar Girl for a cat food commercial in the '80s, I thought I was going to lose my mind because yeah. I was on all the time. <laughs> it's weird. It's weird what you remember, but I remember that commercial, and because I never was a big fan of Neil Sedaka's Calendar Girl to begin with, but. Um, yeah, you're right. It's exactly the same. It's you're, like that 100%. saccharin type bubblegum pop. Exactly. You're you're bang on the money, and it, it and it 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 like sugary things. It doesn't digest well. Like after a while, you're like, okay, I need something substantial, right? Well, it's exactly. So let's talk about the Archies a little bit, though. So who was in the lineup for the Archies? Well, the main the main guy in the Archies was a guy named Ron Dante. Now, this is really I found this doing some research. I found this really interesting. Now, Ron Dante is a singer from Los Angeles, and he he was also singing lead for a band called the Cufflinks at the time. So, when Sugar Sugar's number one, he was a number eight with a song called Tracy with the band called the Cufflinks. I mean, he was he's just a male. Vo- he's still around. He's still touring. He's doing. Archie's tours all the time. I follow him on Facebook. He's a he's seems like a nice chap, but um, it was really him. He did all the male vocals, and and Andy Kim actually sang backup and did the hand claps. But it was put together in New York with studio musicians, and and it was just a you know it was manu or LA sorry LA it was just manufactured manufactured pop. And um, I just have to say, Tony. Uh, I don't know how if you remember this because as as we all know, folks, Tony's younger than me. But there was a time when you could get records on the back of cereal boxes. Oh, Do you yeah, remember yeah. that? Yes. Do you? I had it on the back of a cereal box. Oh, did you? Um, <laughs> sugar crisps, sugar crisps, perfect. Sugar, sugar, That's sugar right. crisps. So a few cavities perfect. to go along with your dose of sacker and pop there. Yeah. <laughs> what teeth? I have no teeth. <laughs> <laughs> but now, that's who was in. I mean, it was that who was the, the the Archie. But really, didn't Archie sing lead? <laughs> no, exactly. Now, who um, Wilson Pickett covered this song? I've never heard the Wilson Pickett cover. I put it in um, the playlist for Spotify because you will love his cover, and it, he does things to the song that you kind of go, "Wow!" He kind of takes the saccharine out of it and just puts the soul into it, and it's actually quite a good cover. And it's oh, I can't wait to hear um, it. It's really, I like Wilson Pickett and in the midnight hour, 
fantastic oh, yeah, right? a fantastic song so folks give that a listen if you get a chance that's the spotify playlist that aaron puts together every week it you know anytime we mention a song in one of these episodes it's almost always on the playlist so give it a listen i'm looking forward to hearing that one especially i had no idea that he covered that song now you picked uh, an interesting chart here you went with five number ones from around the world and this is a really eclectic list actually so uh, yeah hit us with this what's which uh, f- number ones were going on around the world this week well I, I, i've never done this and i thought why not why not look at what was going on elsewhere and and just saw the number ones because sugar sugar was number one in england for eight weeks tony no wonder they have bad teeth over in england sorry i just had to... <laughs> i apologize <Okay>. i <laughs> Uh, We're going to get canceled for that one, boy. And, and just and, and, and so soon after the Queen's death, really. <laughs> <laughs> Too soon, Tony. I was, Too soon. I was just saying what everybody was thinking. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> you ever, ever see the episode of The Simpsons when Lisa doesn't want to get braces and the dentist goes, Lisa, let me show you my book of horrible teeth out of England. And this is what <laughs> Or the Family Guy episode where they did the uh, British <laughs> version of Family Guy. <laughs> oh my god! Oh, okay. oh t- okay. So t- let's t- back to the you, chart. You here. went there. Yeah. Exactly. So before um, before Sugar Sugar can can go to number one for two months in the UK, number one was CCR's Bad Moon Rising. And Tony, I just saw John Fogarty on Sunday night. Yeah, you did. Amazing. Good yeah, show. Amazing. Good sound and everything. Fantastic show. Yeah. Perfect. He's voice. Oh my gosh. The guy's like sounds as good as he always did. Oh, that's fantastic. This was their only number one, wasn't it? Was Bad Moon Rising. And yeah, which is incredible. And it's a fantastic song. But number one in Denmark and in France was Serge Gainsbourg and Jane Birkin with Jetem. We've talked about this before on this show. <laughs> <laughs> suitable it's suitable for 69th episode too it absolutely is so folks uh, just to give you a quick scoop um he decided let's let's record ourselves in the act and put it in the song and yeah anyway it's something else yeah it's it got banned just about everywhere except for denmark and france i think number one in austria was john lennon plastic band with give peace a chance excellent which, yeah uh, Germany, number one. I love this song. Love this song. And we've talked about this before. Zagger and Evans in the year 2525. And how they torpedoed their career with their follow-up single, Mr. Turnkey, which oh. was a song about a child. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. They're totally self-imploded. Oh. Yep. Oh, my gosh. What were you thinking, boys? And number one in the Philippines. Just to, why not, Sly and the Family Stone with Everyday People. Well, it's a great song, so. Yeah, so that was going on around the world while the Americans and Canadians were chewing on their sugar sugar. All right, so folks, we're going to stay in 1969 and we're going to stay on September 20th, but we're going to be talking about one of the original supergroups. And uh, Mm -hmm. we'll be right back. So we're back across the pond here in London and a group called Blind Faith. This was, you know, maybe the original super group, right, Aaron? Um, Mm -hmm. Eric Clapton, like this lineup's incredible. Steve Winwood, who I love, Ginger Baker and Rick Gretsch. uh, They reached number one. They were called Blind Faith 
and they had their self-titled debut album hit number one and within a year blind faith was done i mean this this band just imploded i guess it was a clash of egos and clapton was not in a good place at this time but they at for this week anyway they were on top of the world in the uk um you know interesting story behind these guys though well clapton clapton really i mean let's let's you know look look at eric he left the yardbirds because he didn't want to do for your love and when blind faith kind of came together and they were touring he hated the fact that they only had enough material they only had the one album and so they were doing covers but then they started doing you know songs by cream songs by you know traffic and all that kind of stuff um this is traffic um what was the yeah traffic with stevie winwood yeah yeah they had that big song vehicle remember that oh huge yeah, yeah. great song he was just frustrated and i think the band just fell apart you know yeah and uh, you know this is interesting right their only uk gig was in Hyde Park in London on 7th of June, 1969. So not, didn't last long. And, and really, I think a lot of people probably could have predicted that because like you say, Clapton had a reputation at that time as being difficult to work with and you get all these egos <laughs> in the room and, and it more often He's still than not, difficult to work with. <laughs> yeah. And more often than not, these super groups really don't work out well. You know, I remember reading about this time period in Clapton's life, you know, and, and somebody would would bring in an extra Marshall amp for their stack and he would bring in two, you know, and it got to the point where it was ridiculous. These guys are playing in front of walls of, of these Marshall amps and for what, right? I mean, it would just be ridiculous. Well, and, and your point is an excellent one, which is uh, that these groups don't last long. And I don't know if you know the origin of wings, Paul McCartney's band, but he said he could have gone the super group route, but he knew it wasn't going to last. Like he knew that that would implode because of egos and other things, which is why he went the way he did with wings, right? Which was start off in small clubs again and yeah. play universities. And it was, it paid off really. No, oh, absolutely. I mean, wings has got a great legacy and I think it was the right way to go. Just go back to the playing for the enjoyment of it. Because I think for Paul, when the Beals were going through all those troubles, Paul really missed being on the road, didn't he? Oh, hundred percent. He he wanted to do with the Beatles what he did he did with Wings, which is just turn up at a club and say, "Can we play?" You yeah. know, Tony. The serious piece of this story, besides the fact that that's a brilliant band and a great album, one and only, but the cover is the the part of the story, is it not? The oh, cover of the album. Yeah, I mean the the controversy over the cover, and right, you can see where like here's providing source material for spinal tap right here right but uh their album cover uh featured and and i'm just reading this off folks so uh it was a, a topless prepubescent girl holding a shiny chrome object that kind of looked like a phallus so this was pushing the boundaries of propriety uh, absolutely and i i don't want to say anything else about that cover because you know it, I wonder who approved that. And, and I mean, obviously that's that record is not going to be able to sell if, uh, well, I mean, it went to number one this week, but, but I mean that it's not going to be able to be in stores. Right. I always thought you said something earlier on about Clapton being competitive. And, and I wonder if you, this was the competition with the, you know, the Jimi Hendrix album where there was a bunch of semi dressed women around Jimmy, yeah. you know, but they went, they went one step further. I thought, yeah, and then all these rumors, right, about the girl uh, on the album cover. 
Some said, you know, she was being sacrificed to the devil or she was the band's sex slave, which is really disturbing, or yeah. that she was <laughs> so the, disturbing. Uh, which she was the illegit- illegitimate daughter of one of the band members. Um, but in fact, it was just very innocuous. She was, uh, she had her parents' permission to do it. Uh, they signed a modeling release, and but it certainly didn't help the band win any fans. So... Um, you know, poor decision making there, but uh, I think obviously that's probably where Spinal Tap is drawing some of their inspiration for Smell the Glove, right? Oh, okay, Tony, time for celebration. Spinal Tap sequel. Yes, you're mentioning that. I cannot wait. When is that supposed to come out? Well, they just started filming it, and it's the original cast, including Rob Reiner, which I think is really cool. Yeah, that'll be fantastic. I can't wait. And I'm sure you can hear this on your end, folks, but I've got a garbage truck coming by outside, so excuse yeah. the uh, excuse the noise here. Do you know, I never put two and two together and got the Spinal Tap Smell the Glove connection with the cover of that album. That's a really good point. I never thought of that. Oh, yeah. it uh, To me, it, it seems like a, a, a clear uh, homage, right? That uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there are others, like you say, but uh, some of the Stones covers too, but... Uh, yeah. Okay, but best best line is one of the best lines is your the album cover is sexist. Well, what's wrong with being sexy? Yeah, no, that's, no, not sexy. <laughs> you know my other uh, my other favorite line <laughs> from that movie is when their uh, manager uh, Ian, right? You remember that when he says, "Oh, don't worry about it. Boston's not a big college town, anyways." I tell you what, I'm making. I'm going to make you a promise right now. And because since I'm since I'm retired in two weeks and you're retired, I don't care if I have to come up to you or you come to me. But we're going to see the opening of Spinal Tap's movie. Yes, absolutely. In, yeah, at the theater. <laughs> we're not streaming that thing. Nope. No, we're going to go to the theater to see that. Now, oh my gosh! You picked the top five country albums uh, in the U.S. Nope. So what were yeah. you, what was on the country charts? And I'll tell you why I did that. Because okay. when I looked at the album charts around the world, the number one album on the pop charts everywhere was the number one country album chart. So I thought, you know what? I could go with the country charts just for, for kicks. Number five was uh, Porter Wagner and Dolly Parton with Always Always. Number four was Whispering Bill Anderson. I love that man, Bill Anderson. My Life and But You Know I Love You. Number three is Lynn Anderson, Woman of the World and To Make a Man. I don't know. these. I guess they just took hit singles and named the album after them. Number two, a guy that broke so much ground in country music. And, yes. and I don't think he's gotten enough credit for it, in my opinion. I agree. Charlie Pride. Yeah. The sensational Charlie Pride. And number one, Tony, Johnny Cash, live at San Quentin. What a great Which was album. number one. Oh, but it was number one on the pop charts in England and Canada, everywhere. So I thought, I'll go with the country charts. Now, can you imagine, just, just for a minute before we cut to break here, Imagine what it must have been like at that San Quentin gig if you were an inmate. And Johnny Cash, you know, when you see the footage, he certainly is taking his digs at the guards, isn't he? Oh, he, he, my favorite part is when he, he asks for a cup of water and they bring it to me and he goes, can I get some clean, cold water and a clean cup? <laughs> <laughs> I love that man. Yeah, me too. And you know what? My favorite line uh, in... Um, uh well uh what's this famous famous song that he did there at san quentin uh oh boy named sue no no the other one about the uh you know the one my favorite johnny cash line right i shot a man in reno just to watch him prison blues yeah prison Prison blues Blues, right it's just totally escaped me for a second there but what a badass line eh 
You know, I shot a man oh. in Reno just to watch him die. That's wow. You know, you could give heavy metal bands a run for your money with that line, just just because it's such a cold, cold line, right? Well, it is. Now, folks, we are going to uh, cut ahead to September 22nd in a minute, and we're going to be talking about the band. So we'll be right back. All right, we're back with uh, another story that's taking place in 1969, and this is on September 22nd. And this is a band that I love. The band uh, released their self-titled album, and it peaked at number nine on the U.S. charts. But some great tunes on there. Rag Mama Rag, Up on Cripple Creek, and one of my favorite songs by the band, The Night They Drove Old Dixie Down. Um, I've got a, a lot of other songs I love by them as well, but I love these guys. Are you a fan? Uh, Tony, I'm, I'm going to give you a run for your money. I, I love, I, I'm the biggest, I love the band. And, and one of my, I've never seen them live. I've never seen Robbie Robertson live. I love, 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 love the band. And, and um, every album. And you must have seen the, have you seen, you've seen The Last Waltz, right? Yes, yes. Well, and some of my favorite songs by them are from, from that album i was just going to ask you actually do you have a favorite song by these guys it's a tough one because they got a pretty good catalog it really is a tough one for me i mean i i i hate to go with the obvious but i really love love the night they drove old dixie down yeah that's a good one and there's a song on the last waltz called out of the blue which is one of the last things they recorded and it's got that beautiful you know rick danko falsetto and i just i I, i'm I'm a big fan of that how about you what are your favorites well i like this one i like uh the night they drove old dixie downs great um the weight obviously is a fantastic song but you know what song i turn up every time i hear it like every time is ophelia god i love that song. oh yeah what a fantastic and just the whole brass section in there and everything uh, it does that for me every time like i said i'll turn it up Whenever that's well, that on. was what Robbie, Robbie Robertson was so adventurous bringing brass into the band's sound. I mean, because of the first album, Music from Big Pink, and then they were really just almost oh, a folk band. But then he he really, he knew what he was doing, that man. Still does, in my opinion. Exactly. Now, these guys had an interesting start, didn't they? They were uh, backing a Canadian guy, Ronnie Hawkins, who from Lakefield, Ontario. And uh, I... I was fascinated to find out though about the way that Hawkins worked. Like he was a real taskmaster, wasn't he? You know what? Read. Uh, I should lend it to you. The Levon Helm writes about that in his his autobiography about Ronnie Hawkins. He, he he may have appeared, you know, as everyone's friend and you know whatever, but he no, he took his music extremely seriously, and he was a taskmaster to the point of that's why robbie robertson started writing he was like robertson write me a song and robbie started writing songs for for ronnie hawkins yeah it's pretty cool and eventually uh, you know the band just felt like they i mean i love ronnie hawkins but they had felt that they had outgrown him and they wanted to be out on their own but they really made their mark didn't they when they started working with bob dylan in 1965 and 1966 and <laughs> But but as Robbie Robertson talks about, I mean, they were two. They backed up Dylan when Dylan was being booed for going yes. electric. Yeah, that's right. He, you know that famous uh, heckle, right? Judas, you know, from the crowd. <laughs> yeah, then Dylan's and then Dylan's great reply. Just I love Dylan. It's like, 
I don't believe you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And then he then he told the band to turn it up, didn't he? <laughs> but he used the F word too. If you listen carefully, he's like, play it effing loud. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta love Dylan. But yeah, I mean, what a what a career the band had. I mean, that's why the last waltz is such a cool concert because they literally brought everyone on stage. Yeah. Who they so that Ronnie Hawkins kicks off with a great version of Who Do You Love, which I just that blows my mind every time I hear it. But Dylan's on there, Neil Young, yeah. Emmylou Harris. Uh, here's get ready for the bell. Okay. There's an album by Ringo Starr called Ringo, and there's a song on it called Sunshine Life for Me, Sail Away Raymond. And he's backed by the band, but the song is written by George Harrison. And Harrison actually does the vocals with Ringo, and he's backed by the band. It's a great combination. I you should put what? it on the playlist. I'm ringing the bell right now, but yeah, that's a very cool fact. And you know the their name too, right? Every because I always remember thinking, boy, that takes a lot of stones to call yourself the band. But that came from the fact that they had backed up so many people, and everybody just referred to them as the band. You know, get the band here, and and yeah. they they decided to go for it. And great choice. I mean, it's just, it, and it's one of those choices where you kind of go, no one thought of it before then? Like, really? Yeah. But, oh, I, I I can't say enough about the band. I um, uh, love them so much. And uh, they, I mean, listen, they, I love the, I read a comment once in Rolling Stone magazine, um, best American band never to come from America. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's right, because <laughs> what, four, to, four of them were from Canada, right? Yeah, and then sadly, it's only two left i guess um garth hudson the keyboard player mm-hmm. and um M- linda my daughter linda went to see a show in upstate new york and it's levon helm has a big place a big ranch not a ranch but a barn and a farm and he used to have concerts every saturday night so she went to see bands there he was obviously not there because he's long gone mm-hmm. but when she went there she went to a cemetery and she found you know rick danko's grave and 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 um levon helm's grave and she said it was very emotional to see that she grew up with the band right i mean both of my kids did so yeah now so did I. <laughs> in honor of the fact that uh, there's a big can con connection there you went with the top five canadian albums so what were we listening to that week well, you know what's funny that you look at the top five and there's one more CanCon in there. Um, not mm-hmm. really. Actually, I stand corrected. He hadn't joined the band yet, so I stand back. Aaron, get your facts straight. Number five is the debut album by Crosby, Stills, and Nash called, creatively, Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Number four is a band we've talked about, and neither one of us are huge fans. I like you can admire their talent, but I'm not a big fan of their music. No, it's The Doors, so- Soft Parade. Number three, what can I say? Bob Dylan, Nashville Skyline, great album. And that album really flew in the face of, of everything, right? I mean, it was just like Johnny Cash is on it, and great album. Number two, we've already talked about this band called Blind Faith and their debut album. Yep. And number one was Johnny Cash, well, Live at San Quentin. I, can I just stop for a second and just say, I don't think people realize how big that concert and that album was. Yeah. Like, monster just monster well i i gotta tell you too back in my rock band days years ago you know we would i played in a cover band and um the dance floor would be you know a few people out there and stuff but we would start up with um Folsom prison blues and uh it would be packed like everybody loves that song everybody yeah yeah it's just a great song so folks what's not to love 
Well, for sure. I mean, Johnny is just so badass, right? So we are going to do one more story. It looks like, well, actually, we've got it kind of got one and a half, don't we? But uh, yeah, we've got, well, you know what we do? Because we have to pay tribute to someone who's who achieved something last week that I think is pretty cool. Yeah. So you know what? Why don't we do our from Memphis to Merseyside moment? And then we'll pay tribute to a guy who's a regular on this show. So <laughs> <laughs> That was a huge hint, folks. So we'll be right back. We're going to September 23rd, 1969. So Tony, in the history of rock and roll, this has got to be one of the weirdest and enduring stories of all time. So this, on September 23rd, 1963, there's a newspaper in the Northern Illinois University. They ran a story saying that Paul McCartney had been killed in a car crash in 1966 and had been replaced by a lookalike. And and this was picked up by a guy named Russell Gibb of WKNR Radio in Detroit. Um, So all of a sudden, by October, so we're in late September now, and now Abbey Road is not out yet. It's almost ready to come out. And, and, you know, the cover of Abbey Road, I'm walking across the street. All of a sudden, the hoax was on. Paul McCartney was dead. And there's all of these clues on Beatle albums. If you listen and play things backwards and destroy your yep. turntable. Yeah. And we, we've talked about this, right? Yeah, we have. I mean, this rumor got legs, didn't it? Oh, still does. You do, go and Google it. There's, there's websites devoted that these people still believe these, but then again, people still believe the world's flat, but you know, yeah, but it, it was uh, so many supposed clues, you know, including, I, I love the OPP badge that Paul's wearing there. <laughs> that was just sent to him by a fan. Right. But they, at one point people believed that it was a former OPP officer, right. Who was a Paul McCartney lookalike who took over for him. William Campbell. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, it's got legs. I mean, this thing just, I mean, important. And you know, you're Paul McCartney. You can't win. Cause if you say, no, 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 it's not, I'm, I'm alive and well. Oh yeah. Well, of course that's what the fake guy would say. <laughs> oh, that's right. And, but, uh, yeah, we could devote a whole episode to this, you know, uh, it's just incredible. And this is pre-internet, of course, so fact-checking becomes very difficult. Oh, there was no fact-checking. I mean, there was. I remember one clue was that the word walrus meant dead in Greek. And you're going, no, it doesn't. No, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. even all the clues off the uh, Sergeant Pepper cover, right? I mean, some of them were pretty, you know, like they were oh. clearly reaching, right? Oh, I mean, it was, although the one clue that I always loved was that uh, apparently he, he passed away on a Wednesday and, and George Harrison's finger is pointing to the line Wednesday morning at five o'clock. Do you know how hard it would have been to try to orchestrate that oh. on the back of an album cover with the lyrics? Like, yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm <you> sorry, know, <laughs> no. It's like the people who say that the moon landing never happened, right? Like, you know, how hard would it be to get 400,000 people? who were involved in the project to, to stay silent on that if it was fake, right? Like, Well, Stanley Kubrick filmed it. Tony. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and I think Paul McCartney's sound lookalike. And that's the other thing too, right? I mean, if it is a lookalike, oh my gosh, he's done his career. Like, don't you think at some point he would have said, ah, it's not me, it's William Cam. It's just so stupid. But the clues, I... I I'm fascinated by the clues and you were very kind to invite me to your, your student, your class was to talk about it. Cause some of the clues, yeah. you know, are just so, some of them are creepy. There are creepy ones. I, I, I'm going to tell you right now. I find some of them creepy, but he's alive and well. And it, the, the, um, 
you, you put in the notes here, which I love, is when McCarty was asked to comment, he said, do I look dead? I'm fit as a fiddle, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I'm still here, folks. Now, we have now, one more I, story. I, before, we, before we go to that, i got to tell you a funny story. Yeah, before, sure. Be, bef- before he gave that comment, the guy came to his farm and McCarty threw a bucket of water. Oh, that's him. right. That's right. Yeah. And, and to keep that out of the press, he said, look, okay, fine. I'll talk to you. <laughs> 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 I just love that. The worst you could do is throw water on the report. Oh, Paul, you could do better than that. <laughs> yeah, you know, because that sounds like something that maybe Ozzy would do, right? Is throw a bucket Ozzie. of water on a reporter or something. I just gave it away, didn't I? So we're gonna we're gonna we have to talk about this, Ozzy Osbourne, because we very we, yeah, we have to. Okay, so what happened? This is pretty cool because you pointed this out to me this week. I was so happy. I'm so proud of this man. He just put a new album out called Patient Number Nine, which is a Tip of the hat to John Lennon, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're at number nine, number nine, Revolution Nine. But on September 9th, the album comes out, and guess what, Tony? It's the biggest chart position of his life. It goes to number, it goes to number two in the UK, beaten only by forty thousand copies of Robbie Williams' new album. He could have been number one if Robbie Williams had not put out an album the same day. But he's number two, man. The guy's like. I I didn't, I guess he's alive. And um, he said number two. Yeah. So, you know what? We just had to point that out. And congratulations to Ozzy and well earned because. Sharon. Yep. We, we certainly <laughs> love talking about him on this show and we had to, to keep him on here. And well, folks, that's it. That's all. That is episode 69. Aaron, this was a blast, wasn't it? Oh, what? <laughs> yes. I was going to say something, but I'm just, I'm just keeping my mouth in check. <laughs> yeah, we don't want to get in any more trouble than exactly, we already are. Exactly. exactly. Yes. So, folks. But you started it. You started it. I just was, <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. I'll, I'll take the fall here. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, Tony Stewart to the principal's office, please. That's right. Exa- yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, thanks as always to Rick Denis for providing the music for today's episode. And big thanks to you for indulging us here on episode 69 of the Wayback Music Machine podcast. We love our fans and uh, we're always hoping that we'll continue to get more fans who join us on the road every week. So keep on sharing the show, folks, and we will see you next time. But until we do, Aaron, when the man is getting you down, what should you do? You got to be like Ozzy and just keep on rocking. See you next time, folks.